0: You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen Production. means, and on Thursday we're going to start the seven mountaintop uh, talking about the seven mountaintop revelation, because everything about the kingdom of heaven and what the Bible talks about intertwines with the seven mountaintop prophecy, and it's about how do we do all this stuff that we're talking about, the kingdom of heaven here on earth Bibles people, you guys have your Bibles, you guys believe in that kind of groovy stuff, digital paper iPads, phones. This is my Bible. When I, whenever I bring the Bible up, I do this, and everyone's like, why is he waving his phone? Because it's... Matthew. Matthew is huge, man. I, I, there's a lot of stuff in Matthew about this stuff. Uh, we know that it was originally written in Hebrew. It's out there. It's just... It really has a lot of the definitive stuff that we're talking about. Uh, not just that, but the, par- the parables of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. A lot of them are in Matthew the Beatitudes, the Torah on the top, the Sermon on the Mount. It's all it's pretty much in there. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start there. Matthew chapter 6. If you go to verse 10. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. In other words, may your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, and may your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's what it's saying. So, Jesus is definitely in this thing we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That's important because the stuff we're going to be talking about has a lot of critics. They call it Dominionism. And they say it's it's demonic and it's not scriptural and it's not godly. And they base a lot of their a lot of the critics base it on one verse. Jesus telling Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, he can't say that as well as what he says in Revelation chapter 5. Let me, let's go there real quick. I wasn't going to do this, but Revelation chapter 5, I believe it's verse 10. So he's talking about the, you know, the lamb, uh, the slaughtered lamb, seven horns, seven eyes. He's given the deed of the planet, and there are seven seals. And then it says in verse 10, You made them into a kingdom for God to rule priests to serve him, and they will rule over the earth. But I thought his kingdom wasn't of this earth. So we obviously, that's not what he means when he says that to Pontius Pilate, because it says here clearly, it's talking about the lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll to break its seals, you were slaughtered at 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 the cost of blood, you ransomed for God persons from every tribe. At the cost of blood, you ransomed for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And out of those people, you made them into a kingdom for God to rule, priests to serve Him, and they will rule over the earth. They are talking about us ruling over the earth. So a lot of our our critics are going to be saying, "Well, Jesus said His kingdom isn't of this earth." Well, if we put it into con- context, He's talking to Pontius Pilate about how His, you know, if He go, what did He say? Us? He said. If I wanted to, I could call down all the angels down here and they could wipe the memory of time-space continuum and be free. You know, and I wouldn't be before you, you know, but my kingdom is not of this sort. What he's saying is, what he was here to do the first time wasn't about a physical realm. Remember how we talked about Israel was convinced that Messiah was going to come like a conquering lion and free them and, and establish a physical kingdom in Jerusalem. That's what Israel thought he was going to do. Instead, he comes as a lamb, not a lion, and he establishes a spiritual concept. He takes everything from the physical realm. Right? How do we know that? Matthew chapter five. If you have sex with someone that's not your wife, you're breaking God's commandments. I say, if you think about it. So he, he raises the bar. He takes everything into the invisible realm of intent, which is a lot harder. It's a lot harder not to think about something, than it is to do something. So he raises the bar. Uh, he does that, you know, if you kill, I say if you're angry. See? So he changed the whole, he, he takes it to another level. It's the same instruction, it's the same commandments, it's the same everything. He just actually goes, look, this is the intent. The intention of my Father with the commandments through Moses has always been your heart. Because we know, we have a song about this, that he says, you know what? Let's take, let's take the commandments off the table at least keep the vows that you've made to me obedience over sacrifice so so he's he's not talking about his kingdom isn't of this world he's talking to Pontius Pilate saying I'm not going to what I'm here to do right now isn't about that it's about this other deal but his second coming is about coming back as a roaring lion to establish a physical kingdom on earth and to take over the kingdoms of the world as we've discussed to take over the governance of man and it's gonna, he's going to come slaughtering kings that's what it says his robes it's all full of blood so there's going to be a physical revolution establishing his kingdom the, the parable of the Mina is, is, is a great prophetic look at that uh, the way he describes it he's going to another, to another land to establish himself as king and the locals aren't really into it But he's going to do it anyway and then he comes back and what have you done with what I've left you <laughs> And to those that doubled it, awesome. Give him ten cities. To him that hid or buried it, they were cast out. Blah, blah, blah. So, he's coming back to establish a physical kingdom, and we are going to reign with him on earth. Dominionism is what, it's, what they're calling it, and they're saying it's not of the Lord. But then they have to throw out a whole lot of scriptures that talk about us inheriting the earth, and sheep nations, and what he's coming to do, and... We, we know that everything for the New Testament church model is based on the Old Testament. Paul says it clearly in Corinthians, and we will touch on that. And our example is Israel. Israel and the wilderness experience with Moses and the, the Joshua campaign. And that is ultimately why we're here. That's why he's tarried. Because the same plan he has for us today is the same exact plan he had for Israel, and that's to cross the Jordan and conquer the land of Canaan. That was full of giants and a demonic strain of humanity. That scripture we just read about your kingdom on earth, your will on earth, as it is in heaven. We have to kind of repeat these things over and over and over because of what we're about to go into, which is going to be the Joshua campaign, what that looked like, why, what they did to prepare for that, what the purpose of that is, and how the seven mountains work into that. So, to understand this, we have to understand some basic basics. Some basic basics. For example, that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have to understand that. And we have to understand that because it all ties in with the royal priesthood. So if we go to Hebrews chapter 7, we're still, we're still trying to lay a foundation because we're about to jump in to practical instruction. And we want a good foundation in Hebrews chapter 7. Talking about the Abraham and the Catholic blessing. Do we know about that? Um, lot's captured. Abraham grabs 300 of his men. They're pretty much servants. They're 300 guys. And they go after... Pagan kings, and, they, and then it says that after the slaughter of the four kings, Abraham and three hundred guys slaughter four pagan kings. They come across Mekeseldick, and he recognizes the, the authority, physical and spiritual authority of Mekeseldick, and he gives tenth of the spoils, ten percent of the spoils from slaughtering four kings to him, and Mekeseldick blesses him. And it's a blessing that's going to transcend 400 plus years because the, the law of tithing was, it was in his loins because Levi hadn't been born yet. That's like 400 years away. And so he's given this amazing blessing that is transferable, as we discussed a little bit. Uh, he, he was able to transfer this blessing to Isaac. Most of the servant goes with him and it says, The angel that has prospered my Lord is going with you or is is with me, to help me find a wife for my Lord's Son. It's a transferable blessing. We talked about Deuteronomy 8.18. So in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews says that, This Mechizedek, king of Salem, a Kohen, or a priest of God, Aelion, or God the Most High, met Abraham on his way back from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Also Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, Now, first of all, by translation of his name, he is King of Righteousness. King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Shalem, which means King of Peace. So we have a priest and a king here, because we know that he's a priest, because Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Remember that? So we have a kingly priest anointing here. We have a double anointing here of king and priest. Jesus is a priest after the order of a ruling king in earth's domain. A king who combines two anointings in one office. The anointing of a king who rules territory, we've discussed that a little bit, and the anointing of a priest who intercedes and represents God. This is important because in the Old Testament, you could not function in that double anointing. If you were a king, you could not function as a priest. Um, Saul, remember Lenny was talking about Saul and Gilgal? and he was sacrificing animals, and he got spanked by the Lordians. Man, it's horrible. He's functioning as a priest. He can't function as a priest. He's a king. It's not allowed. Just as priests weren't allowed to function as kings. It It was deadly. You could not do that. Then we have, oh, is it Jeroboam? When he's given ten kingdoms... He's afraid that if, the, if any of his ten kingdoms go back to Jerusalem, the designated place for worship and sacrifices through the Levitical priesthood by God, that he might lose control over the ten kingdoms. Did we, do we know what we're talking about? Solomon's son is given... Is take, the Ten kingdoms are taken away from him, and the guy that the ten kingdoms were given to decides, hey... I can't let these people go back to Jerusalem where Solomon's, uh, where Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is in charge in case I lose these people. So he establishes two new places of worship, sets up a priesthood to start doing sacrifices, and they're not even Levites, and he himself starts functioning as a priest and sacrificing. You can't do that. One, you're not doing it at the right place. Jerusalem is the only sanctified place you could do that, at the temple. And two, only the Levitical priesthood could do that. He sets up counterfeit places of worship, and he sets up counterfeit priests. And he himself is functioning as a priest. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You've read it? Yes? No? It's in your Bible? Alright. This king is functioning as a priest. So a prophet is sent by the Lord, and as he's functioning as a priest this prophet comes to curse the altar and his hand withers and then his hand grows back. Remember that? The scripture says that this guy's entire line is wiped out. His whole lineage is wiped out because he's breaking the law of God. You cannot function as a priest when you're a king. And you can't function as a king when you're a priest. Yet, Mechazel which is way before all this, with Abraham, is a kingly priest. This guy's Functioning with some mojo, that, uh, that's pretty powerful. And Jesus is a priest in his order. As a priest, after the order of, of, of a ruling king in earth's domain, he combines two anointings in one office. Jesus has this dual anointing. Does anybody know the, the, the only king of Israel that was ever allowed to function as a priest and get away with it? David. David is the only king of Israel that was able to function as a priest and not die. He enters the temple, the Holy of Holies, and eats the showbread. And he doesn't die. Jesus even brings that up with the Pharisees. Because this is a significant thing. He should not have been allowed to have done that and survive. Yet he does. For some reason, Christianity has told us that David danced in the streets naked when when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem. Right? That's what we've been told. He wasn't naked. It says he was wearing an ephod. <laughs> He's wearing the priestly garment. The priestly garment that was designed by God, downloaded into Moses, and this, these garments were prophetic garments. They were for glory and blessing, they were to keep the priest from death when in the Holy of Holies. This is, you want to talk about some magic underwear? This is real magic underwear. Because this ephod, this linen ephod that the priests were wearing would spare them from death when, before the Lord. Well, David's wearing one, it says, in da- when he's dancing in the streets when the, the Ark of the Covenant is brought in. That's significant. It's significant because David does what? He establishes the house of prayer. Tabernacle of David with the house of prayer. And the Levitical priesthood with music, I mean, this is a significant guy. He's a prophet who's a king who also is allowed to function as a priest and is significant because Jesus is what? The son of David. I mean, this whole foundation is rooted in David. So we've got this Abraham blessing with Mechazodek who's a kingly priest. Double anointing, double role that you're not supposed to have. David's able to function in both and get away with it. And then Jesus is of David and uh, and the priesthood of Melchizedek, And then according to Peter, what does Peter say? We're a royal priesthood. We're kingly priests. So this anointing that eluded so many in the Old Testament, that killed people in the Old Testament, you have. You have a kingly, priestly anointing. A king... Yeah! It's freaking rad! (laughs) It's amazing! It's a game changer. It's not just all of us. It's not one person, it's all of us. That's correct. And it's a game changer. And and it's because of that we have the task at hand. And we have to understand these things in order to go forward and accomplish the task at hand. Which is what? Well, a kingly anointing rules territory and the priestly anointing Intercedes and represents God over that territory. Remember, we talked about that? A king expands territory and rules the territory, and a priest brings heaven down on top of that territory. That's our role. We're to expand territory and bring heaven down onto that territory, heaven on earth. This is what, if we're praying on earth as it is in heaven, it's our responsibility to do that. It's our call. The priesthood represents a king's authority in the earth's domain over every force and spiritual realm on earth combined with the spiritual priesthood that reveals God to man and man to God. So Jesus is the combination of this kingly priesthood anointing and where this enigma that is brought forth from this and that's a royal priesthood. So as a royal priesthood, we have to understand this. And it's important because Israel didn't understand this. And Israel had to be made to to understand this before they could even go forward. And we're going to get to that. So we have supernatural authority over the devil, principalities, rulers, authorities, and powers, cosmic powers governing the darkness of the world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, and demons. Ephesians 6.12. That's where you, you can find the proof text for that. And... We have authority over land, the territory that you're assigned to, to reign over it, to possess it and occupy. We were just talking uh, earlier before the extent of our authority in our realms. You know, we were talking about Joseph when he was thrown. You know, yes, he got a prophetic dream that would take I think I think it's 14 years before it would come to 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 realization. Uh, There's that number again. Um, He's thrown into a pit. If he, had, he could have opted out and said there's no God this is a lie I'm in a pit my brothers just threw me in a pit I'm out, of, I'm out. he could have opted out and that would have been the extent of his, of his authority but he didn't then he sold to slave traders man I'm really out of this now I'm out this is even worse than being thrown in a pit I know people that have opted out because they became homeless. What's worse? Thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by your brothers, falsely accused of sleeping with your boss's wife, thrown in jail and left there and forgotten. We opt out for a lot less than that. Hence the level or the expanse of your spiritual authority. I want it all, all. man. I want it all. It's 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 important. So we have authority over the devil, principalities, rulers, authorities, and powers—cosmic powers governing the darkness of this world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, demons, and the territory and the land that you've been assigned to to reign over and to dominate. We have that authority. You have the priestly authority to intercede and to pray and to build a gateway for earth to represent itself to heaven and to bring heaven down to earth, to create that thin airspace. As a king, this is the authority you were given by Jesus. And as a priest, that's the authority you were given. And we have to know this. We have to understand this. Otherwise, we will react to what life does to us as opposed to respond correctly. See, we react more than respond, whether it's financial, emotional, spiritual, physical, economical, whatever. How we respond versus our reaction determines and really does define where we're at in this process of understanding our authority as kings and priests. We have to understand that in order to be able to go forward correctly and successfully. You know what I mean? Because Summit County is only twenty thousand people. Park City is only eight thousand people. That's not a lot of people. I've done festivals bigger than both those numbers combined. It's not a lot of people. It's not that daunting of a task to take over the territory as a king, and then to bring heaven over that territory as a priest. It's not that. Oh, it's not that crazy. You have authority in two dimensions at one time. Jesus could calm storms and forgive sins. You can do. Has anybody ever controlled the weather? Been able to change weather patterns and right? Right. I have. Has anybody been able to forgive sins? I have. Right? I'm not the only one. Other people raised their hands when it came to... I mean, how many times have we moved the tornado path around us in Dallas? I mean, it's like, it's worse than an earthquake. Oh my God. In five minutes, it'll be over your house. I mean, they show you exactly where it's going to go and what time it's going to be there. Has anybody ever seen that on a weather map? Have you ever been in that path? Oh, it sucks. You have? It's not not fun. It's worse than an earthquake. An earthquake happens and you react. This is like, oh, it's coming. Where am I going to go? It's like a fire coming towards your house and you go out and it and it. Right. And then it goes the other way. Yeah. So we have watched these tornado paths. No sharknadoes. <laughs> We've seen these tornado paths come right at us and we just, man, we just start interceding. We start, Lord, <laughs> that way. No one lives in DeSoto. Go that way in Lancaster. <laughs> you know? And it's coming right at us. It's like, there's our house, and it's going to hit us. And they've moved. Constantly. Or, you're on tour, and it's a horrible, horrible summer day, and there's no wind, there's no breeze, and you're just like, you know what? No. Father, bring the breeze in. There it comes. And the people sitting next to you think you're a warlock, because you did that. We have that authority. He gave it to us. So in order for us to do this on earth, as it is in heaven thing, we must... Begin by living the kingdom within ourselves because it starts with us. Remember how we were talking about this is all about renewing and changing our mind. The way we think. I can't do this because and fill in the blank. Finances, medical, transportation. A lot of it is, most of the time, it's financial. I can't do this, Lord, because I don't have the money. We have to change the way we think. This cannot. we We can't even think about kingdom of heaven on earth, if we don't change our thinking and our perspective and how we process information. It's an absolute must. And I can prove it to you. Right here. In my iPhone. Why do we say this? Because we don't believe that we're a royal priesthood. We don't believe that we have the physical authority on this planet to rule territory and domain that he's given us. I'll use Dallas as an example. I was sent to Dallas. God, supernaturally, sent us to Dallas. That didn't make any sense. So now we're in Dallas and didn't want to be there, but we're there. And he, that was our territory, right? That was our territory. That's where we're at. So now as a king, I have to function as a king in this territory. And that's expand the territory. And he gave us a lot of spiritual authority, man. At one point, the Dallas skyline was our... Our backdrop, it was like right there. And then the priestly authority is to provoke change. When a church has testimony night and six out of 10 <laughs> testimonies that have our, the Aguirre name on it, you know you're functioning as a priest properly. Does that make sense? Because that's fruit. Dallas was a huge thing about functioning as a king and expanding territory and functioning as a priest and bringing heaven over that territory. Lots of lives were impacted. Our community Shabbat group was pushing 30-plus when we left. You know, just out of our home. We're just kind of hanging out, and it's like... Dallas is uh, considered the number one Christian city in the nation based on the amount of people per capita that go to church on Sunday morning. But it's also the least transformed city in the nation. The highest uh, teenage pregnancy, uh, the highest crime in government... Highest murder capital. I mean, it's just bad stuff. So it's like, how can you be the number one Christian city and have no fruit? Gospel of salvation. Everyone's getting saved. Nobody's lives are transformed, nobody's lives are changing. Makes sense. It wasn't the gospel of the kingdom. That includes salvation, but it provokes transformation. So that's a, that was a tough one. And, there, and that's because they don't understand that they're kings. Otherwise they'd be out there expanding their territory. 10 out of 12 pastors that were interviewed for that report said that that wasn't their call. Their call was spiritual. Not to deal with teenage pregnancy, crime, things of that nature. Convenient, right? Yeah, it doesn't work. It's broken. Remember we talked about this in Matthew 28. All authority was given to Jesus and then he in turn gives it to us. Jesus re-inherited everything as a man, and then he gave it to us, to you and I, as an inheritance. He got the keys back. Remember? What was lost in the garden, he got back through his death and resurrection. And now he just wants us to go back to plan A, which was what? Dominion over the earth. God's kingdom on earth. That's the apostolic commission. To pray on earth as it is in heaven... It's not only our assignment, we're also obligated to pray in that way and to watch it happen. It's not an option. It's it's in the absolute center of why God has left us on this planet. And it's the same plan he had for Israel in the land of Canaan. What was God's plan for Israel in the land of Canaan? Possession. To possess the land. Was it not? It was 400 years between Abraham and Moses. Abraham walked the borders and everywhere his step foot, the land was given to him. So the land of Canaan was huge. It's a lot bigger than Israel is right now. It involves parts of Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. Oh yeah. See why he's coming back slaughtering kings? When he comes back, he's going to reestablish the proper borders. You know how many countries that's going to upset? Yeah. The word possess in the Strong's is number 03423. yaresh. It means to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. By implication, to seize, to rob, to inherit, also to expel, to impoverish, to ruin, to cast out, to consume, to destroy, to disinherit, to dispossess, drive, driving, to drive out, enjoy, expel, without fail, give to, leave for, inheritance, or a magistrate, to be or to make poor, to come to poverty, to give to, to make to, to possess, to get, to have, in, take, possession, seize upon, Succeed utterly. That's a violent word in the Hebrew. This is what Israel was called by the Lord to do to the land of Canaan. All of those things. To leave no proof or trace of a previous inhabitant. To absolutely, completely and entirely. It's like the the Etch-a-Sketch. When you shake it, it all disappeared. That's what they were to do to seven people groups, the ites. And it doesn't help that there's a demonic strain of humanity in the land. And as we find out, 12 spies were sent to the land to spy out the land for 40 days. And they went, whoa. Yeah, this land is is exactly what we were told. flowing with milk and honey, ginormous dinosaur-sized produce, Fruits, vegetables. I mean, it's like, wow. But the people are a lot bigger than we are. They're a lot taller. They're mightier. They're stronger. In fact, the descendants of the Niflheim are in the land. They occupy a good portion of it. Well, didn't they die out in the flood? That may be some other time. They're in the land. And we look like grasshoppers to them. So they're there for 40 days. They come back with the report. And 80%, there's that number again, 80% of 12 is 9.6. 10 of the spies said, the descendants of the Nephilim are in there, and there's, there's just no way we can do this. They put fear into the people, fear and doubt and unbelief. But two said, no, man, we've got this. This is our land. Have you ever considered what it must have felt like to be Joshua and Caleb to finally be walking in a 400 plus year prophecy? They're walking in the fulfillment of a 400 plus year prophecy that all of Israel knows very, 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 very well. It's not like this obscure little prophecy. Only to be told to turn and walk away. And for every day they were in, their, in the land spine, they would spend a year in the, in the desert for their fear, doubt, and unbelief until they were killed off because they didn't trust. They didn't believe. They did exactly what Jesus said not to do in Matthew. Don't be like the pagans who do what? They doubt, they fear, and they have unbelief. Remember that? We talked about that. But instead, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. So they, they thought like a pagan, believed the report of the 80%ers, and were killed off in the desert. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For brothers, I don't want you to miss the significance of what happened to our fathers. All of them were guided by the pillar of cloud, and they all passed through, through the sea. And in connection with the cloud and with the sea, They all immersed themselves into Moses. Also, they all ate the same food from the Spirit, and they all drank the same drink from the Spirit. For they drank from a Spirit-sent rock, which followed them. And that rock was the Messiah. Yet, with the majority of them, God was not pleased. So their bodies were strewn across the desert. Now these things took place as prefigurative historical events, or examples in some of your translations warning us, who's us? Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's writing to the New Testament church, saying that what happened to Israel in the desert is a warning to the New Testament church not to set our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As a Tanakh puts it, the people sat down to eat and drink, they got up to indulge in revelry, and let us not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, with the consequence that 23,000 died in a single day. And let us not put the Messiah to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble. You know what's another good word for grumble? Ridicule, Mm -hmm. mock, slander, gossip. Don't do that, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroying angel. Does anybody know about the destroying angel that they were warned that would be following them and not to make them mad because there would be no repentance in him? Yeah, it says that in there. These things happened to them as prefigurative historical events, in some of your translations, examples. And they were written down as a warning to us who are living in the Akarit Hayamim the last days, at the end of the age. Now, if we really believe we're living in the last days, He's talking to you. He's talking to us. Now, what happened to Israel in the desert is a warning to us not to do what they did, not to be like they were. What did they do? They had fear that God really wasn't going to make this thing happen. They had doubt that God was actually going to fulfill His promises and they had unbelief that God was going ahead of them to accomplish the task. They were worried about whether they they didn't have enough money in their bank account to do God's will, or whatever it is that we do. They didn't obey Him. They didn't keep His commandments. They didn't do what He instructed them to do, and so they were killed off in the desert. Bodies were strewn throughout the desert, an entire generation. The first census showed over 500,000 fighting men of Israel. The second census shows over 600,000 fighting men of Israel. But nobody from the first census was part of the second census because they were all dead, it says. It's a lot of people. And that's just the fighting man, which is roughly 20 to 40 years old or something like that. 20 to 50 years old. So what happens now? They camp out around... Moab, and they finally you know, Moses died, everybody dies. For all we know, the only two people that actually entered the land that left Egypt were Caleb and Joshua, the two spies that said, we got this thing. So they walked away from the promised land. They walked away from a 400 year prophetic fulfillment. How would you imagine? Do you have any idea what that might have felt like? To wander 40 years and to watch an entire race, generation die around you? But what happens before they can even begin to do what God has them to do? Joshua chapter 5. And here we begin with the Joshua campaign of possessing the land. Joshua chapter 5. It's a whole new body. Because the sons of promise were killed in the desert. When all the kings of the Amorites on the west side of the Jordan, the west side of the Jordan, that's important, it happening on the west or east side, because the west side is is pretty much the the side you want to be on. (laughs) The east side is the other side. And all the kings of the Canaanites near the sea, the Mediterranean, heard how Adonai had dried up the Jordan River ahead of the people of Israel until they had crossed it. Their hearts failed them. And they fell into depression because of the people of Israel. See, when God does what He does, they hear about it. Yeah, They hear about it. Oh, crap. This God we don't believe in dried up the Jordan so they could cross over it on dry land. And it put fear in them. And they were depressed. And they were like, Oh, my gosh. They're coming. They're coming. And they know why they're coming. They're coming to take us away. And it, it bummed them out. When God does what He does, the world takes notice. Right? How many times does Moses say, Oh God, spare these people, or what? The Egyptians will hear about it. Don't taint your testimony over these people, because they're going to hear about it. That's awesome. They hear about it. So they're a little distraught because of, of Israel. It was at that time that I said to Joshua, Make yourselves knives of flint and circumcise the people of Israel again a second time. So Joshua made himself knives of flint and circumcised the people of Israel at Gilgal, hill of foreskins. The reason Joshua circumcised was that all the people who had left Egypt, who were males, all the fighting men, had died in the desert along the way after leaving Egypt. For although all the people who left Egypt had been circumcised, All those who had been born in the desert on the way as they went on from Egypt had not been circumcised because the people of Israel walked 40 years in the desert until the whole nation, that is, the fighting men who had left Egypt, had died out because they had not heeded what Adonai said. Adonai had sworn that he would not allow them to see the land which Adonai swore to their ancestors that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, So he raised up their children to take their place. And it was those whom Joshua circumcised. Till then, they had been uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised while traveling. When all the nation had been circumcised, every one of them, they stayed where they were in camp until they had healed. Adonai said to Joshua, Today I have rolled off from you the stigma of Egypt. This is why the place has been called Gilgal rolling ever since. Anthony, two or three weeks ago, made a very significant comment about this. The the sons of the sons of promise are the ones that Joshua has to work with. This is going to be Joshua's army. They were born in the desert. They weren't born in Egypt. They never lived a day in Egypt. Yet they carried the stigma of Egypt on them. That was transferred over to them from their disobedient dead parents in the desert. And they, they had to have a circumcision, a physical circumcision that God used to roll off the stigma of Egypt. Remember, we talked a little bit about this. The stigma of Egypt was they were Egyptian slaves. He rolls off through this circumcision the Egyptian slave mentality because slaves do not have inheritance. And they're about to go do what? Inherit the land. As what? Kings and priests. As what? God's people. And they couldn't do that. That could not happen as long as they thought, processed, believed, saw themselves in the mirror as Egyptian slaves. And the same is true today. And we've talked a little bit about this before. As long as we process, as long as we wake up and live and act as, whether it's your husband, a mother, a child, a business owner, an employee, an employer, it doesn't matter. If you function like an Egyptian slave, this is not going to work. You will not get the results spoken about in the Bible. It's just, it's not designed that way. Until a circumcision, a Gilgal-level circumcision, occurs in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit, you cannot inherit You're not even going to be able to enter the land to try to even possess it. Any land. And you have territory with your name on it. And the longer you delay in possessing that territory, the more opportunity you give the foxes and the birds to come and rob and steal and destroy your inheritance. Does that make sense? So it's a complete mind change. Egyptian slave king and priest and that's what that's what has to happen and I I don't know how the mechanicals are are, I mean they're, they're, they're everything do you have secret sin in your life that you're not even dealing with well that's gonna that's gonna be more Egyptian slave than king and priest do you have attitudes that you might not even be aware of you know, do you wake up pissy in the morning? Is that a proper PC word, or a, uh, what's a, what's the proper cranky. word there? Cranky. cranky. Sorry. Do you wake up cranky in the morning? That would be evidence of Egyptian slave mentality, not a king or priest. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I just like I just totally messed up your mom over there, didn't I? <laughs> um, you know how you resp- how you interact with others, your relationships. See, it's kind of hard to break this down from here it's easier to walk it out with people but then that's where it gets a little uncomfortable because I really don't want you that close to my life it's called discipleship it's a lost biblical art form called discipleship because that requires us getting into your business getting into what you're doing when you're not here and see I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this. Gideon is hunting down some pagan kings. And when he finally gets to them, he asks the kings, the pagan kings, "What did the men look like that you killed?" And they said, "They looked like you. sons of kings." He goes, "Ah, oh, I'm sorry, those were my brothers. now I'm going to have to kill you." Gideon's countenance was different. See? That's why God was doing to Israel in the desert what he was doing. He was creating a nation, but he was also getting them to get to the point of understanding the importance of walking in his covenant relationship, the commandments, Torah, because they were about to go and embark on a crazy, crazy endeavor, and that's to expel a demonic train of humanity and descendants of the Nephilim from the land. And it, apparently it, The 40 years wasn't long enough because, as we continue to read, they failed. (laughs) They didn't even accomplish the task. Yet somehow, us Christians got it down and we don't have nothing to worry about. (laughs) Wow. It's amazing. Gideon's countenance was different, he looked different. Why? Well, when you obey the commandments, you eat a certain way. That's significant. significant. They dressed a certain way. They didn't mix fibers. That's significant. Um, their beards. If they were Nazarites, they had dreadlocks. I mean, on and on and on. They looked different than the pagan kings. So their countenance had the countenance of the Lord upon them. Why am I telling you this? Because, see, I don't, I don't walk with you on a daily basis. I walk with some of you on a daily basis, but I don't walk with all of you on a daily basis. But you know what? Your countenance reveals where you're at. Your countenance reveals where you're at. And if, if you're not fasting, if you're not in the Word, if you're not in prayer, if you're not doing these kingdom things, you know, like, like your business, for example. We have businessmen here. If you're not functioning, you know what I'm saying? It will affect you and your countenance. And it will determine whether the countenance of the Lord is upon you or not. This this can't be manipulated. This can't be faked. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. That's the greatest thing about this thing. And sadly, a lot of us don't do it a lot or consistently. And we don't even know that we're exposing the fact that we're not to others based on our attitudes or how we carry ourselves, how we interact with each other. And uh, we, because we all think we're okay we have this divine assignment and I'm going to do my very best to break it down because we've been given this is where the Lord has us Wasatch Valley, Park City correct? that's where we live work and play and he's expecting us to prepare a people for him, his return to turn Park City into a sheep city and Summit County a Sheep County. A harvest. It's a stewardship. Parable of Talents, Parable of Minas. What are we going to do with what he's given us while he's away? So that he's going to come back and he's going to give an account. Oh, we've been here 30 years, but we've only occupied. We never really possessed Park City. I'm a real social kind of guy. And so, wherever I'm at, Park City... You know, Whether it's Old Town or the Kimball Junction area or Heber, whatever. It doesn't matter. The majority of the people here aren't from here. And so they're like, Oh, so where are you from? Right? They ask you, So where are you from? Oh, I'm from Los Angeles, but I just spent 18 years in Dallas. Oh, yeah. And then the next question, What are you doing here? It's awesome. It's, it's ready-made. It's so easy. Because you get to tell them, Oh, I'm here working with the church. And I get to say, Non LDS of course. No one mistakes me for a Mormon. <laughs> it's the dreadlocks. It's right. It's dreadlocks the tattoos. I've got these earrings. Where are you from? What are you doing here? And I get to and I know that's gonna happen, so it's it's easy. It's easy, easy, easy. I'm here I'm working with a church. In Park City, on Kearns. You might have heard of it. it used to be Mountain Vineyard, it's called the Branch. And everybody, everybody, oh yeah, I know that church. I've been to that church. I used to go to that church, or I've heard of that church. What I do want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. That means we have to multiply what he's given us. We have to double those five minas, those five talents. And if it's spiritual, the only way that's going to happen is intercession, fasting, and prayer in here. Concentrated, deliberate, strategic, and we'll continue with that because it's all part of this, right? Look at what Joshua and them, but look what they had to do in order. To, they had to do the same thing, and we have a modern day example of it. Little village in Guatemala, some of you have heard about. Well, what did they do? We'll talk about that next week, and on Thursday we'll begin the seven mountaintop because we have to take the mountain. And there's seven mountains, and six of those mountains are represented in this tiny, little remnant. That's exciting. So, Father, mercy, Father, mercy, 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 mercy. Your spirit of wisdom and revelation for kingdom strategies.